Are we good? Okay. Hello, this is Doctor Barbara Kiel. Actually, a lot of my clients prefer to call me Doctor Bibi, and I quite like it, to be honest, because I think there is a ring to it, Doctor Bibi. Don't you think? Anyways, you are listening to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast which will show you how easy it is to be honest. What? You don't believe me? Well, stick around and let me give you the tools and knowledge. Hello, everyone. This is Doctor Baby, and welcome to my podcast. To be honest. I'm sure you all know the drill by now. So let us set the energy of this episode together. You may want to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes, as long as you are not driving or operating heavy machinery. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds. And let your thoughts go as you exhale. Let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe. All is well, and so it is. Take another deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds. Four, three, two, one, and exhale out loud. <sighs> and when you are ready. Slowly open your eyes. Thank you for joining me, and I trust that you are well out there. However, for whatever reason that you are not, I send you heaps of loving and healing energy. All right. Last week, after I published my podcast. I received a number of emails from teachers. Actually, I was expecting emails from parents, but not a lot. More teachers giving me pushback about、uh, respect. Actually, I have noticed in the past that one of the quickest ways to start a heated discussion with teachers is to ask them if they believe students should respect a teacher just because the teacher is a teacher, or if a teacher has to earn the respect of the students. And I have no doubt there are parents out there who have similar beliefs. So the fact that there are still many teachers and/or parents who believe 
that students and children should respect them just because they are authority figures is a serious shortcoming in the teacher training process. And I want to take the next few minutes to finish off this topic. Now, I know that my audience is all over the world, so I have no way of knowing whether your part of the world is legal to um, apply corporal punishment for children domestically or in school. Most states in Australia is not legal to apply corporal punishment. However, at private schools in Queensland, it is still legal for a teacher to use reasonable force, whatever that means, against a student to discipline or control them. One man has come forward urging young people who might be experiencing corporal punishment at school nowadays to speak up, and he wants the practice totally banned. And here's why. Let's call him Christopher, who is about 44 years old. He says he was traumatized after a relief teacher physically assaulted him back in 1986 when he was in year seven at a state school in Brisbane. He said that him and another classmate was hit with a wooden stick. And the only act that they did was in response to smiling at another student misbehaving. As a clinical psychologist, I know for a fact that corporal punishment does more harm than good to rare children, and it is not psychologically healthy to control and be forceful with our children. Having said that, I believe that teacher training programs, for example, in the typical university, if they do not show future teachers how to earn the respect and cooperation of the students, they are then significantly unprepared when they reach the classrooms. I suspect that if a person begins studying to become a teacher with the belief that teachers should be respected or obeyed just because of their position as a teacher, it will be very hard to change this belief. What might be needed then is some way of filtering prospective teachers based on their beliefs. While this idea may make some people feel uncomfortable, the reality is that a person's beliefs do significantly affect their attitudes, and attitudes affect the classroom environment. Beliefs also affect a person's ability to be taught new things, especially new ideas. At present, the teacher training programs I am familiar with do not test a future teacher for their open-mindedness. Instead, I am afraid that their ability to adapt to the status quo is much more highly valued. 
much depends, of course, on the people who design and control the teacher training curriculums and the admissions and graduation processes. Their beliefs will obviously affect the system itself and the future teachers created by the system. I also think that if a teacher or future teacher is emotionally needy and they have an unmet emotional need to feel in control or to feel important, it will be almost impossible for them to treat students with respect regardless of their training and preparation. Now that goes the same for parenting. Because I also hear parents say, what is the big deal that I hit my children every now and then? I was hit by my father when I was young, and look at how I turn out. I would strongly suggest and urge those teachers and parents to seek professional help and to work on their past wounds, childhood wounds particularly. The good news is, I also know for a fact that there are many teachers and future teachers who agree that respect needs to be earned. So I applaud them. They just need to be offered practical skills to help them learn how to do this. And hey, There are also many, many wonderful teachers who are already doing a wonderful job and their students respect them totally. So I thank them. All right, I think it's enough said and I shall start to talk about today's main topic and that is the importance of knowing the difference between your feelings and thoughts. Based on my professional experience, I realized majority of us are not aware that our feelings are a direct result of our thoughts. Now, if you have been following my podcast, you will remember that in one of the episodes, if not more, I mentioned time and time again that our feelings come from thoughts, And our thoughts come from our beliefs, and our beliefs are taught or through our experience. So if we are not knowledgeable about this information, we tend to believe instead that our feelings are a result of external events. But there has to be a thought before there can be a feeling. So let me give you a few examples to show how people confuse their thoughts with their feelings. You may hear people say, oh, I feel that you are angry with me. Or, I feel that my brother is a weak person. Or, I feel that if I would only change, my husband would love me more. Mind you, all of these sentences actually express thoughts, beliefs, and perceptions, which then result in certain feelings. 
So let us look at the feelings that these thoughts create. Okay, so the first sentence I mentioned, I feel that you are angry with me. Now, this is actually a perception. It's not a feeling. It is a perception which more accurately stated would be, I see you are angry with me. Therefore, I now feel scared, confused, sad, hurt, and angry. So how about the second sentence? I feel that my brother is a weak person. Now, actually, this is a thought. So what you should have said is, I think my brother is a weak person. Therefore, I feel contemptuous, superior, disappointed, sad, frustrated, and helpless. So the last sentence of my example I feel that if I would only change, my husband would love me more. So can you take a wild guess whether it is a thought, belief, or perception? They are definitely not feelings. Yes, some of you guessed it right. It is a belief. So what you should have said is, I believe that if I would only change, my husband would love me more. Therefore, I feel bad. I feel inferior. I feel unlovable. And I feel bewildered. Something to that effect. Now, I could just hear some of you say, oh, she's just playing semantics. No, my audience. These vital distinctions are not differences in semantics. Why? Because learning to distinguish your thoughts and beliefs from your feelings is a very important step in your own growth. To gain control of your life, you must first take control of your thoughts. So let me give you the following example to show you how thoughts and feelings can get confused in a relationship. Now imagine that you have fixed a nice dinner and have sat down at the table with your husband or wife. Suddenly, he or she criticizes you because you have folded the napkins wrong from his or her point of view, of course. He or she begins saying such things like, you don't care enough to do it right. You don't care about anything and especially about me because you know how important it is for me to have the table looking good. You are thoughtless, selfish, and lazy. Very likely, all you would be aware of during this tirade is feeling scared, humiliated, guilty, hurt, and angry. 
The intensity of your feelings may be all that is real for you at the moment, but it is vitally important for you to recognize that you have skipped a step in understanding what is happening to you. So please pay attention. Before you felt all those intense emotions, you already had thoughts or interpretations of what you heard from your spouse or partner. So, my audience, isolating and recognizing those thoughts can enable you eventually to change your behavior and your reactions. Now, between a tirade such as the one that I just mentioned to you and your panicky reactions, the thoughts that sped by unnoticed may have included the following. So you may have thoughts like, wow, he is angry at me. Hmm. I am in danger. I have done something wrong again. Hmm. Why can't I ever defend myself against his or her criticisms? I can never think of anything to say when he or she is angry at me. She never appreciates anything I try to do for her. I could never please him. I wish she could see my point. Or you may think, I wish I could just leave him here. So when you can recognize the crucial distinction between your thoughts and feelings, you can begin to exercise some control over your reactions to what people say to you. So my audience, in order to help you in this area, I ask you to focus on your thoughts because unlike feelings, thoughts do not have specific labels. And for this reason, thoughts tend to be more general. I think it is important for me to give you a few more examples here. So here is one of the feelings. I feel sad much of the time. Possible thoughts could be, well, life is miserable. I wonder if everybody wouldn't be better off without me. Another feeling uh, related to possible domestic violence. I feel afraid of my partner. Thoughts that associate with that feeling could be something bad is going to happen to me. I don't know what he might do next. He might hurt me. He might leave me. Maybe I could do it another way. Um, let's say we hear people mentioned that, oh, I feel like smacking him in the face if I weren't so scared. Actually, this is not a feeling. It is a thought. So the proper way to say it is, I, I'd like to smack him in the face if I weren't so scared. And the possible feeling that can derive from this thought is, I feel enraged much of the time. 
with my abusive husband or my abusive wife. Here's another good one. I feel like I cannot do anything right. Again, this is not a feeling. It is a thought. What did I do wrong? Why is he so upset with me again? How come he can be so loving sometimes and so awful at others? Possible feelings with those thoughts? I feel confused and bewildered about how I am supposed to behave when I am around him. Here's another one. I feel there is no way out. I feel like I have no place to go. So again, these are thoughts, not feelings. So the thoughts are, there is no way out. I have no place to go and I have to start all over from scratch. These are all thoughts, okay? And the possible feelings is, I feel trapped. I feel helpless and overwhelmed. So let me end this episode by giving you an exercise to do. Take 10 to 15 minutes to sit down and take an inventory of your feelings. Or just take out a piece of paper and just write whatever you feel and start distinguishing whether they are truly your feelings, meaning emotions, or actually they are thoughts. So let's say you can recognize your own true emotions. Then see if you can figure out what thoughts preceded each of your feelings. Be as specific as you can, just like the examples that I gave you earlier. Try this exercise at least once a day and take a few moments to connect your feelings, both positive and negative, to the thoughts that came before them. For example, let's say, you just bought a birthday gift for a close friend. You feel a warm glow of satisfaction. You feel happy and good about yourself. So some of the thoughts that may have preceded these feelings are, hmm, I'm a nice person. I'm a good friend. I'm kind. I am generous. I like to see people I care about being happy. My friend will love this gift. Now, conversely, if giving the gift makes you feel tense and worried, the thoughts might have been, hmm, maybe my friend won't like this present. Geez, I spent too much money on this gift. I never know the right thing to buy my friend. Or, am I only trying to buy my friend's love with this gift? Be aware that trying to find the connection between your thoughts and your feelings may seem awkward and mechanical at first. However, I promise you, doing this exercise will help you to learn how to interpret and interrupt your automatic reactions particularly to stressful situations. And furthermore, setting boundaries for you will be easier. 
So on that note, I thank you for spending your time with me, and I appreciate you. So until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, do the exercise, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. Find this podcast. To be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O. dot com.